Well, you guys must love Jesus because you're not at home watching the rugby. Who stayed up till midnight watching election stuff? Almost midnight. Very exciting. Yeah. And then there's rugby this morning. Oh my goodness, it is all happening. So just pat the person beside you on the back and say, well done. You must be a real Christian. Here you are. Here you are. Yeah. That is fantastic. And how amazing was Increase? It was like three weeks ago. Who was at Increase? It was incredible. Now, if you were, or even if you weren't able to get there, you can listen to the podcast for free. They're all up on our church website, the audio podcasts. And there is the online of the, the video of the Sunday morning only. So avail yourselves of that because it's really awesome. Even if you've heard it, it gets in your spirit. I try and listen to all of the messages about three times so they really get in my spirit. And if you want to come to the marriage course, Ellen and I are doing it. It's so much fun. It is a bit of a date night. So it's 100 bucks to do the marriage course, but that covers seven nights. So that's seven dates at only $14.23 each. How cheap is that? Because you get two desserts for that price. So we set up the room like it's a big room. It's a hall. And we set it up with like a little table there for two, a table there for two, a table there for two. So you can actually have a meaty discussion without other people hearing. And so you're not actually interacting with the other people. You sit and you watch the screen and they're talking and then you, they say talk about these things. So then you talk with each other about these things. Then you watch the screen and someone brings you dessert. It's so awesome. Has anyone ever done the marriage course before? Oh, we've done it. Yeah, cool. We did it like about 14 years ago, so overdue to do it again. But they've refilmed all the videos. So if you want to come and do the marriage course with us, it starts tomorrow night. So just register online today. It's really worth the investment and a very cheap date night for seven Monday nights in a row, which is so cool. Well, if you want to save the date for increase next year, it is the 27th to the 29th of September in 2024, which is the first weekend of the school holidays. So my title today, and I want to encourage you to take notes if you, if you can on your phone. By the way, if you have trouble with QR codes, just later on go to the website, Make Sense, and you can sign the petition on the website. It's a really great idea to do that. So my title today is Get Ready to Grow. Get Ready to Grow. I'm talking to myself as well. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today. Help us to grow. Healthy things grow. You want us growing and not remaining the same. Help us to grow into your likeness, Lord, into your image. Help us to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, who wants to grow in, in God spiritually? Maybe not grow taller, but like, I mean, I'm talking spiritual growth. So... Yes, we all put our hands up. Yes, we want to grow. Yeah. But do we realize that growth also means change? Growth means change. And change precedes growth. So change is therefore necessary for us. So today we're going to look at this process of how God changes us and grows us. Are you ready? How many of us are up for a bit of change? Oh, yeah. Come on. Now, hands up if you like change. Hands up if you don't like change. Just being honest here. Okay, that's good. So I've got three points today. First one is change. <laughs> so write that down. Change is often difficult for us as humans. And I've got a few scriptures. We'll get to them soon. And it is easy for us to put our security 
in our peaceful routines and in our familiar things and in the people we know and trust. And change can be a real threat to us, having all our ducks in a row. And we sure wouldn't want to mess up our happy little life by changing something. And change can also feel like a threat to our personal security and stability sometimes. Now, peaceful, phlegmatic personalities often find change difficult and can be resistant to it. But powerful, choleric personalities are into change and are stimulated by it. So this is what happens. You get a peaceful, phlegmatic, married to a powerful, choleric, because opposites attract, and the results can be entertaining. Because the choleric is always doing new things and new projects and new places and the phlegmatic is dragging their feet, trying to keep up, just wanting to sit on the couch because they're exhausted from all of the change. Some of you are thinking, you're describing our marriage right now. I myself come from a long line of sanguine choleric women on both sides and some days I'll come home from school and all the furniture would be all changed around. <laughs> and I'd get up in the night to go to the toilet and I'd bang into something that wasn't there the night before. <laughs> But whatever our feelings are toward change, we all have to learn to navigate it in our lives because change is here to stay. And in order to grow, we're going to need to embrace change. So tell the person next to you, let's embrace change. Not embrace me, embrace change. Tell the person on the other side, embrace change. Amen. <laughs> you know, we're all constantly changing. God's growing us, changing us. You know, you can change anything about yourself these days. You can completely change your look if you want. You know, you can get um, all plastic surgery. And if you've got too much hair, you can shave it all off and be bald. You can have a number one. And if you're bald, you can have hair implants. And we know we can get other kinds of implants now as well. And for the woman. And we can all get emergency liposuction. But whatever it is you don't like about yourself, you can pump it up or cut it off. And, you know, if we're over 50, some of us, then our look is not quite what it used to be 30 years ago. And if you don't believe that some things have changed, next time you get out of the shower, sneak a peek in the mirror, some things have changed. But if there's one thing that will never change, it's the fact that things are constantly changing. And when I was at university 32 years ago, my lecturer said to me, you students would have more in common with any other young person your age anywhere in the world, regardless of their culture and language, than you would have had with your own great-grandparents because of the rate of change. You know, the changes that have happened in the last 100 to 120 years have been unprecedented. Massive changes in technology. You know, cars, phones, electricity. These things have only been around for 120 years. Now we have the internet, the digital age. It's massive change. There's been huge changes in travel. You know, you think 200 plus years ago, it was just horses, boats, and walking. This is before trains, before cars, before bigger, safer ships like steamships. Um, 200 years ago, most people... Anywhere in the world, most people would never have traveled more than 10 to 20 miles from the village they were born in and raised in, and unless they had a boat and they were adventurous. Neither would their parents or grandparents have done that. And in fact, that mindset is still alive and well in Britain today. And <laughs> when we were in London, we met people who had never visited Wales, two hours drive. 
And we're like, me? They were like, me? Go to Wales? Why, love? It's so far. I think all the adventurous ones like Baz have immigrated. Come on, Baz, shout out to you. (laughs) But, you know, Alan and I had the privilege of visiting 15 countries before we turned 30. That's quite common now. But it wasn't 200 years ago. Even if we just go back five generations, most people did not travel more than a day's walk from their home. There have been big changes also in industrialism. You know, 200 years ago, people would live off the land. And most people were farming or living off, you know, eating kaimoana or living in small villages, small rural communities. But now urban drift is such a huge thing. And a large portion of the population, in the Western world at least, live in large cities. Even our own city here in Tauranga, the population doubled within 20 years in the late 80s. Went from 60,000 to 120,000. That's a very big growth in a short amount of time. There have been gigantic changes in the family. We've had the invention of the pill. This is all my introduction. Don't worry, the scripture's coming. It's okay. (laughs) We've had the invention of the pill. Then we've had the sexual revolution in the late 60s, early 70s, which has led, it hasn't helped us, it's led to rising divorce rates, many broken homes. We don't just have kids living with mum and dad anymore. That's um, That's the lesser part of the population have married parents. More than half of Kiwis are born out of wedlock now. More than half of Kiwis are born to parents who are not married to each other. So we have kids living not just with mum and dad, they're living with mum and stepdad number one, then stepdad number two, then stepdad number three, and all these stepbrothers and sisters. I know, that was me. And um, it's really expensive at Christmas. And then when you're at school and your teacher says, draw a picture of your family, you're like, miss, I need more paper. Like, it's really complicated. And a lot of changes happen in the Western world in the last two centuries. And it's only escalating. It's only increasing. And all of this change can create stress. And often we can respond to this by having a fear and a mistrust of change. Especially if we ourselves have been the victims of negative changes in our world. Like, oh, my parents split up. So we lost our house and Mum and I had to shift into the small flat and move cities and change schools. And I lost all my friends. Or maybe as a man, you, you were made redundant. Now you're unemployed. And change that is negative and unwanted can make us feel powerless. So we can end up hating and dreading change. And then, and then you come to church and you hear, Jesus is going to change your life. And you're thinking, no way, Jose. Get your hands off my life. Do you know, as we change individually, we will also change as a group, as a church. Traditionally in the Western world, the church has been the last institution to ever change. Over the years, if something is new and different, often people will respond like, it's of the devil. And um, when drums first came into church, who's been in church long enough to remember when drums first came into church? Yeah, it was of the devil. They were of the devil. Electric guitars, of the devil. Decades ago, We're probably all too young to remember this, but decades ago, Christian women weren't allowed to wear makeup to church because it was of the devil. In fact, someone, when I got saved over 35 years ago, asked our pastor in um, our church in Hamilton, should Christian women wear makeup? And he thought for a moment, then he said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. (laughs) Anyway, I love that Adam Sandler movie, Waterboy. The mum in that was always saying, that girl is of the devil. You know, everything was of the devil back in the day. But, you know, my granddad said to me when he was young, a young boy, 
in the 1920s. He was just a child, and electricity had just been invented. And he grew up in a strong Presbyterian, God-fearing home. And he said Christians were all suspicious of electricity because they couldn't see it. They thought it must be spiritual, so they thought it must be of the devil. So Christians didn't get electricity. They were the last ones to get it. I've got a couple of excerpts here about um, clergy being resistant to change. Clergy, that's what I am. I am clergyman. No, I'm clergywoman. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's clergyman. It means a pastor, like a minister or something like that. So, you know, we've got to be open to new ideas. There was a guy called Mark Brunel in the late 1700s. He was a brilliant young man with legendary engineering skills. He planned the first tunnel under the River Thames. That tunnel is still in service today. And he made this underground digging machine, and it made London's first tube possible, the subway. But during its construction, he was hounded by clergymen who called it a flirtation with the underworld. What about radio evangelism? Don't you think that's a good idea to use a radio to evangelize people so they could hear the gospel and not burn in hell? Amen. That's a great idea. But... When the pioneers of radio evangelism started using the airways to proclaim the gospel, they labored against a loud, persistent chorus of criticism. Clarence Jones, a founder of a missionary station, radio station in Ecuador, faced these questions from the clergy. Will God prosper this newfangled fad since it operates in the very realm of Satan, the air? Doesn't the Bible say that the devil is the prince of the power of the air? And so they didn't want radio evangelism. Duh! Lastly, Sunday school, don't you think it's a good idea to teach our kids about Jesus? Yes. Oh, but the clergy didn't when it first came out. This guy called Robert Rake started the Sunday school movement. And when he did, the Archbishop of Canterbury called together all the bishops to see what could be done to stop him. And they started them in in the USA in the 1700s. But many members of the clergy were opposed to them. They maintained it was a desecration of the Lord's Day to hold school on Sunday. And one pastor said to a church, that uh, a class of kids that was being held in his church on a Sunday, he said, you imps of Satan, you're doing the devil's work. I'm going to throw you out in the street. You know, this is how resistant even pastors have been and can be to change. And as Christians, we can take on the attitude, if something is new, then it's bad. And we can look at it with suspicion. We may not even be aware we have this attitude. It may be subconscious. But the answer for our fear of change is to put our security and stability in the Lord who never changes. He is the only one, the only thing that will never change. Malachi 3 verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the Lord wants us to learn to embrace change because change is a prerequisite for growth. And we're all called to grow. So get ready, change is coming to you. And we know from the word that God is heavily into growth and change. Now the Lord himself doesn't change, but he's constantly doing new things. His kingdom is constantly growing and enlarging. The Christian life is all about growth and change. You know, when we're born again, that's a huge change. Matthew 18, verse 3, it's up here. It says, unless, Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And that word change there could also be used, other words could be like, unless you turn, unless you convert, unless you start over and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, we know that healthy things grow and that growth involves change. So if we are spiritually healthy, we will be experiencing spiritual growth. And if we are continually healthy, we will be continually growing. Not just when we're a new Christian, not just when we're a teenager, but all our lives. And if we stop growing, it's a problem because we're stagnating. If we're not moving forwards, we are drifting backwards. So spiritual growth should be normal for us, not just a special occasion a couple of times a year at increase or at a youth camp or on a second God retreat or when you have a freedom prayer. Every day we need to be growing in God because he desires for us to grow. Now, who's a parent here? You've got kids. All of us parents, amen. When our kids are little and they're babies, they're so cute and we love babies. But, you know, six-month-old baby is adorable, but no parent wants their dear wee baby to stay a baby all their lives. A six-month-old is adorable, but a 35-year-old baby is not. It's time to ditch the adult nappies. (laughs) Every parent has a vision for their kid to grow into a wise, mature, productive adult. Our Father God has the same vision for us. We can't just stay eating milk. We've got to move on to meat. And if you're a vegan here, I'm just reading the Bible. Don't shoot me. (laughs) So, you know, we've got to grow into all he has for us. We can't stay static. We have to change and grow. And the good news is, you're going to, I'm going to grow so much, we are going to be unrecognizable. But the problem can be, many of us can even subconsciously resist growth because we don't like change. We say we want to grow, but are we prepared to pay the price of change in order to grow spiritually? You know what? The Lord is so committed to changing and growing us, he won't ever stop. Here's another verse, Philippians 1 verse 6 in the New Living. It says, I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus returns. So he's going to keep doing that good work in us. He's not going to stop. He's committed to making you and me into the image of his son, Jesus. And he won't stop that process until we are like Jesus. The Lord is more committed to our spiritual growth than we are. And he's more committed to our growth than he is to our comfort. And he will even make us uncomfortable if necessary in order to get the growth that he wants for us and our future. And here is how he changes us. He prunes us. Brought my old secretaries. I went to buy some new ones and I paid... Not, not enough for them, and they broke on day two, so I've got to take them back with the receipt and get some more. But these are my old ones. They're old, but they're trusty, and they're good. So point number two, number one was change. Number two is pruning, pruning. Now, I'm going to read to you from John 15, the little bit about pruning, John 15 that Jesus talked about. And here's a little picture for what we're about to read, four verses. The gardener is Father God. The vine is Jesus. And the branches are us, Christians, believers. And the fruit is the results that we bear in our lives, the harvest of us walking with Jesus. So here we go, NIV, John 15, verse 1. Jesus talking, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, you know, an awesome thing here is Jesus is talking to his disciples. He only prunes his disciples. So if the Lord is pruning you and me, that's a good sign. That means we are his disciple. We've got to let the Lord change us by letting him prune us. He prunes us to achieve greater growth. It's always to make us better. He is the master gardener, and he's looking for the right shape for us for the long haul. He's snipping this off because he can see the shape of what we're becoming, of what he wants us to be. He is the master. He is in no hurry. He plays the long game. So it's like this. We're a new Christian. We're like a little plant, and we're growing, and we're growing, and we're trying our best, and, and, and finally we get a little branch, and, and it grows right out, and it's getting really big. We even have a bit of fruit on the end. It's this little apple, and it's so cute, and we're so proud of it, and it's taken so long to get there. But then this is what happens. It's like we've got our fruit out here, but the Lord comes along, and he chops it off, chops that branch, so it's only half the size now. Oh, my branch used to go right out like this, and now it's like this. Oh, and we're so sad, and we get mad with God because our little branch is only half there now, and our apple's gone. And we thought we think the audacity of God. Why does He do that? And and we can get mad with God, and we don't even know we're doing it. But we're, now we're, we've only got half our branch, and we're on non-speaking terms with God. Because it took us so long to get this fruit. We were looking so good and so spiritual and so fruitful. We just cut it off. And you're thinking, oh, Lord, I'm not talking to you. Talk to the hand. And we're sitting around waiting for God to apologize to us. I think it's too late to apologize. We're just mad with God. But this is what happens. He's not interested in a little bit of fruit. He is interested in a lot of fruit. Because the fruit isn't just for us. The fruit we produce will nourish others, not just ourselves. And he is looking for maximum fruit. So he prunes us. Pruning involves not just cutting off dead, bad, disease branches. It involves cutting back good ones too. To get the max fruit and the max future growth and height, he has to prune us. He knows that the weight of the fruit we're going to bear could snap our wee branch. It's not strong enough yet to bear the future fruit he knows we're going to have. He doesn't want us to be broken by the weight of our own fruit. So he cuts it off in order for us to grow bigger and stronger. And it hurts. It hurts our pride. It hurts our feelings. Lord, it took me so long to get that little branch and that wee apple. And now it's gone and I was looking so good too. I was looking so fruitful, so spiritual. You know, we want to look good. We want to look super fruitful and spiritual to impress others, but the Lord prunes us and cuts off the thing that was making us look so good. And we're all about how we look now, but God isn't. He's all about what we will produce in the long run. And pruning makes us look ugly because we've been cut off in the short term. But tell you what, it makes us look beautiful and fruitful in the long term. And that's what it's about. You know, I love to be out in my garden I'm not a pro, I just dabble, I'm learning as I go. Like many of you too, we prune things in winter, don't we? Roses, 
daisies. I know Will's a bit of a gardener. Uh, grape, my grapevine, I cut that right back. Hydrangeas. I know that if I don't prune them, I won't get many flowers or grapes or whatever it is. And do you know what? When I'm pruning it, I'm thinking, what? It seems illogical to cut off the growth when the whole thing I'm trying to achieve is growth in that plant. But I have to cut it back. It's like upside down thinking. It's a necessary process to get more fruit. It's an annual thing, pruning season. Sometimes though things grow so fast you have to cut them back more often than just annually. But pruning shows that God loves us. It shows we are not growing wild, but we are in his garden and he cares for us. He prunes us, shapes us, and changes us for our good. There's a pattern to his pruning. There's a process to his pruning. He cuts away what is unnecessary, the unnecessary branches to reduce the weight that we have to carry, the weight of those heavy limbs. He cuts away that which is diseased or dying, which might hurt us. He cuts away things to make room for new light to come in and new life to grow. He does this to maintain the structural integrity of us as a, as a tree or a plant so we can grow into the future shape that he has planned for us. He knows what he's called us to be. Now, some of us today may be in a pruning season right now God is pruning off some unnecessary activity. He might be pruning off that which is diseased or dying, that which is from a past season and no longer needed. He might be pruning off some old habits, some past relationships, some old thought patterns, some wrong beliefs, some distractions, some things that are hindering our full growth. Let's let him do it. Let's trust the great gardener. Let's surrender to him. And my last point, number three, is growth. We've had change, pruning, number three, growth. Isaiah 46, verse 10a in the NIV, God says, I make known the end from the beginning. I make known the end from the beginning. Do you know what? The Lord sees us not just as we are now with our little pruned off branch, half cut. He sees into the future. He sees the finished product because God is outside of time. And he sees what you're going to be, not just what you are now. And he wants the real deal. The Lord is looking for fruit that will last. He wants to see spiritual fruit, harvest, results in our lives. And he doesn't just want a harvest from one year. He wants a harvest and fruit that will go on to bear more fruit. Because the Lord doesn't just see this year's harvest of fruit. He sees generationally. The Lord doesn't just see the fruit. He sees the seed in the fruit. You know, if you bite into an apple, there's seeds in the middle and the core. And those seeds will go on to create more trees that will bear more fruit. And this is what it's like in us. The Lord doesn't just see you and me. He sees the disciples you and I are going to make. He sees the potential within us. And when I was at Increase, you know, the beautiful thing about sitting in the front row is that you get to become part of the mosh pit, whether you want to be or not. <laughs> and all these young people were at the front dancing. It was so amazing, like the kids do here on Sunday mornings. And all these empower kids were in, which is our intermediate age, and they were all up the front in a line. And as I was standing there looking at them, I could see them there in the natural. But it was like in the spirit, behind each one, I could see rows of people, 
rows of people in the future, and those were the ones that they're going to reach. I could see these ones that are not even here yet, standing like in a line behind each one. And I thought, that's how the Lord sees us. He sees not just us. He sees all the people we're going to reach. He sees the, what's going to come from us, not just biologically, our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, our spiritual children, our disciples, and then the ones they will make and the ones they will make. One apple seed can become an apple tree that bears thousands of apples every year. And each one of those apples carries seed in it to do the same. Can we get an idea of the scale of the enormity of what God wants to do in us and through us? His pruning in our lives brings change that leads to spiritual growth. You know what? The Lord is looking for a return on his investment in us. He wants maximum fruit a maximum harvest, a maximum crop from our lives. You know, we don't understand pruning at the time. It can, we can get disappointed. We can get hurt. We can, we can wonder why God's doing it. We can, God, what are you doing? What are you doing to me, Lord? But we've got to trust the gardener. He has been pruning for a long time, and he knows what he is doing. Some of us here today, the Lord is calling you into something new and it involves change and it's scary stuff because you've never been there before and you don't know what it's going to look like. Do you know what? The Lord will often ask us to lay something down. It's like a type of pruning before he will bring you into the next thing. He will take something out of your hands before he can put the next thing into our hands. He may ask you to leave everything you've ever known, all that is comfortable and familiar. He will lead us even out of our comfort zone into the unknown like he did with Abraham. And he will prune off things that we're trusting in, like that old job or that old place, that old city where we used to live. And it will involve change, but then will come the growth. Change, then pruning, then growth. You know, when we got married nearly 32 years ago, God had spoken to us clearly to move to Tauranga. He called me to teach at Bethlehem College. And, he, and Alan had always wanted to come back and help his dad with the church. But the job I ended up getting at Bethlehem College wasn't the one I'd applied for, and it wasn't what I thought. You know, I'd done three-year teaching diploma, fourth year, finished my degree. I thought, I've been working my butt off for four years studying. I am so ready to teach and get paid, you know, and take on my own class. But then they wanted me to be a trainee in Christian education. I thought, a trainee! I've spent four years training. I'm overtraining. I'm ready to do it, man. I'm re- I've got my bit of paper. I've got my, my, um, my qualification. I don't want to do any more training. I'm ready to go. Let me loose on those kids. Give me a class. Give me a full wage. I don't need more training. But that got pr- pruned off me pretty quick. My flash four-year qualification, you know. And the Lord came with the sick ears and chopped off that bit of fruit. And, and he said to me, Eleanor, you can be a trainee. You can learn more for another year. And I did. And do you know what? It was the best thing ever. I grew so much in my biblical worldview that year. I got to watch all of these amazing teachers teaching Christianly. And I learned how to do that, whereas before I thought I knew, but I didn't because I'd never seen it done. And, and you know what? There were many unknowns in us moving here from Hamilton as Alan didn't have a job, and my BC trainee job only paid $241 a week. And we couldn't live on that, and we were going backwards every, every week after we paid rent and groceries and 
tithed. And it would have actually been a lot easier to stay in Hamilton. <laughs> we had a big youth group there. It was youth and young adults. And, and there'd be like 200 people when you went to youth. 200 people. But when, but when we moved here, we were having a good time. All the uni students, it was awesome. But then when we came here, our youth here in Tauranga was only 25 people at our church. And that was on a good night when they all came. And, you know, a church back in Hamilton had over a 1,000 people. It was rocking. But the church, when we came here, it was small. It only had about 130 people then. And we were the only married couple in the whole church without kids. There was no one our age. There was no one for us to be friends to, friends with. And we knew that moving here from Hamilton to Tauranga would involve a lot of change. New city, new jobs, new church, new house, new friends, new everything. But God had spoken. So we had to embrace the change of him pruning off everything we knew, everything that was familiar, our friends, our old jobs, our old places where we lived, our old church, our old youth group, everything. And you know what? It was five months before Alan got a job. He was unemployed for five months. It wasn't easy. It it was a miracle that God sustained us on $241 a week going backwards every week in a two-bedroom house for five months. We didn't starve. And we started leading the youth here and helping Alan's mum and dad with the church. And today, we're so glad that we let God prune off the old and lead us into a change, into something new, because we grew so much leading the youth. And I hate to think of what we missed out, we would have missed out on if we had stayed with what was familiar and easy and comfortable back in Fog City, Hamilton. You know, it is worth paying the price of change and paying the pain of pruning, paying the price of change and the pain of pruning to get the spiritual growth. If the band could come and help me, that'd be great. And when we let God take something out of our hands, it's good to hold the thing the assignment, the task that God's giving us with open hands. Because if we hold on to what God's given us with tight, shut hands, he has to prise our fingers open to get it out of our hands, and that hurts. So we've got to live open-handed. And he takes the thing out of our hands before he puts the next thing in. So with pruning, we always have to give up the old before we can receive the new. And so there's this period of once he's taken it out of your hands, you're waiting for the next thing, and you feel really silly because you've got nothing in your hands. And you're like, but God, I've got nothing. I've just got empty hands. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good look either, Lord. What will people think if they see I have nothing? What will I say to them if they ask me what I do? And how will I explain my nothingness? It's a difficult place to be in, a place when you're between assignments. When God has pruned one off you and you haven't received your next one yet. But this is the time when we can trust God and we need to trust him more than ever. And we can trust his goodness and his character. Often we fear the change and the pruning because it means we won't be in charge. But the Lord is saying, will you let me be in charge? You know, A wee plant is so cute, but after pruning, it actually grows into a tree that is large and fruitful, and it provides shelter and fruit for many people, and it will go on doing so for generations. But in order to grow to its maximum height, it has to submit to change by being pruned. And if that plant will not submit to pruning, then it will never be fully productive. 
it will never reach the height and the fruitfulness that it's created, designed for it. You know, you and I were never designed to just be nice Christians. We were designed to grow big and bear fruit, maximum fruit that will last, that will feed others. You know, the Lord is wanting to bring growth and the prices always change and the devil will whisper to us, don't do it. Don't pay the price, it's too high. But the Holy Spirit's saying, do it, trust God. Let him change you and prune you, it's worth it. Let's stand this morning.